0: Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league the WNBL in its 43rd season hit that subscribe button like and review so we can get more hoops content to you
1: the stadium was absolutely packed and like I love playing with big crowds and people to see because they see, like myself, is my ability. They don't see in my disability. And that's what I think I love about wheelchair basketball is people aren't staring at you or thinking, oh, poor, or, she's in a wheelchair. Or do you know what I mean? Like people just see me as a player and what I can do.
0: Kylie Gauchi first pulled on an Australian singlet at 17 and represented us for 17 years, including five world championships, three Paralympics tallying three medals, and achieving many accolades along the way. Recently inducted into the Basketball New South Wales Hall of Fame, Kylie is a wheelchair basketball legend and gives us a look into the privilege and relentless hard work that goes into representing the green and gold during a prolific period for our Aussie gliders. We're grateful for Kylie's look into that successful era for our women's wheelchair squad and the role models that inspired her drive for success. We also explore some of the challenges in recent years, affecting a program used to podium finishes and the impact of funding on our sport. An amazing competitor who, like so many Paralympians, loves the physicality of the game, who has now retired from international competition, but you can still catch Kylie play in the National League. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze, joining me and my co-host Jacinta Govind. Today we have got Paralympian Kylie Gauchi. Kylie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks
1: so much. It's good to be here.
0: Well, first of all, you recently were introduced to the Basketball New South Wales Hall of Fame. It's a great honour, but you've had an incredible journey in the basketball world. Can you just give us a really quick rundown on what it's been like for you?
1: Um, the Basketball Hall of Fame was... Uh... A surprise to me I, I wasn't expecting it to be honest but you know I'm very grateful to be inducted with so many um, high-profile athletes and not just athletes but also referees and people like Lorraine Landon my, my journey's been awesome I couldn't um, have asked or I could have asked for a better journey in winning a gold medal but unfortunately that didn't happen but yeah, like 17 years in the Australian team, three Paralympics, three medals, five world championships, and uh, uh, I also got named in the World All-Star 5 in 2006 at our world champs. So I, I think that's a pretty um, pretty good effort on my behalf, and, um, yeah, I wouldn't change anything for my career.
0: That's I mean, when you sort of lay that out, in that way it's a pretty spectacular career and with some amazing awards and amazing accolades throughout it first of all i want to go back to the point that you first represented the gliders at 17
1: yeah i think it was um 2002 was pretty much my first major tournament so that was a worlds in japan i think we won a bronze medal there i'm pretty sure yeah and then at 19, I was at my first Paralympics. <laughs> Once I found the sport, I um yeah, that was my sole focus and just wanted to achieve and yeah do be- do bigger and better things each time.
0: I suppose one of the one of the most obvious questions is, how did you find the sport?
1: So I went to a wheelchair sports New South Wales Christmas camp. And um, you just try all different sports. I tried, you know, swimming, tennis, wheelchair, track and road, basketball. And a Paralympian came along, Jerry Hewson, and um, we just really hit it off. And, yeah, my career kind of just went from juniors to seniors and then, yeah, to Paralympic level.
2: Were there any other sports at that camp that um, perhaps were tied
1: first for basketball? Um, I did athletics, uh, I did wheelchair track and road, I should say, until I made an Australian squad in basketball, I was doing both of them, and then once I made an Australian squad in basketball, then I um, gave up track and field.
0: <laughs> and you've never looked back?
1: Yeah, yep.
0: <laughs> and we're kind of going to bounce back and forth a little bit here, but one of the things that that was highlighted is that we've had a bit of a drought in, in wheelchair basketball, from your perspective, mm-hmm. what do you think Australia needs to do to be able to get back up into that medal contention?
1: That's a really good question. Um, well, it's, it is hard for them at the moment, I would say, because when I retired in 2018, I was alongside four other females that also retired. So they do have the numbers around, but obviously five people have a lot of experience. So, I think that's where they're um, struggling at the moment is having the experience across from your one point range to a four and a half point range. I think that's the struggle that they're, you know, have at the moment. Yeah, I have my own other views on why also they're not going so well. But I just think it comes back to. How the program is being run and what is expected of the girls, what they have to do. It's changed a lot since I first was in the Australian squad. Uh, like I always worked at least 20 to 30 hours in job before, you know, and then I had my basketball on top of that. And I think it's, some of the girls, what they're expected to do today, it's just... It's kind of like they're a robot. They just have to do, go from here to there. And I was a robot, but I was a robot in my own, in how I wanted to do it. So I always worked my work around my basketball. My basketball always came first before work, but I always did both. And um, at the moment, they're expected to do certain sessions at certain times. And basketball in Sydney has changed a lot as well. Like when I first started, there was two men's national leagues. Women's league was just starting. So I used to be at team training three nights a week. where that doesn't happen anymore because we don't have a men's league here in Sydney, a men's team, sorry, here in Sydney. And we've got two women's teams. Yeah, so they don't have the amount of training that I had. So then how BA and um, have brought into it is they've got team sessions within New South Wales that they have to go to. So it's just very different also from when I started. There was more people playing in Sydney and there was more teams around and I was very fortunate to be able to train with so many teams and, yeah, just get that experience and, you know, hit the gym and hit the court. Like I would say probably 80% of my training was individual and then 20% was team training. Um, So I did a lot of my training individually, just on the court, working on my individual skills, shooting. I used to do a lot of aerobic training as well. So I'd like to go on the, we don't live far from the M7, so I'd go on there and do a push for 45 minutes. Uh, And I think that really helps on the basketball court because you're fitter, you're stronger, you're more agile. So I think, yeah, things have changed dramatically and, I think it's just a rebuilding process for them, unfortunately.
0: So I'm kind of interested in what's happened with the number of teams in, yeah. in the interim period, because how have we lost that many teams?
1: Yeah, it, it's a it's a good question. Um, I don't really have the answer, to be honest. Like people retire and they don't. Yeah, like you know, we've, I, I, Wollongong always haven't had a team in the NWBL. So we used to have, when I first started, there was a Sydney Comets team, there was a Sydney Razorbacks, and then there was also a, I think it was a Cobras team, I can't remember the exact name. And then the Cobras fell off, and then the Razorbacks, a lot of them went to Wollongong, so then that kind of folded. And then the Will King, uh, the Comets turned into the Wilkings, and then the Wilkings turned into the Sydney Metro Blues. Yeah. Um And then, yeah, people just, like we had people coming in, you know, we had CJ coming in from um, because he lived in Sydney. He was based in Sydney and then he went back to, well, he went to college in the States and he then moved back to Darwin and then Darwin put in a team. So the numbers just somehow disappear and then it's really hard to get a team together.
0: So adding to that, I'm also curious about when we've spoken to other people about, uh, wheelchair basketball. One of the things. One of the things that keeps coming up is the points ratings for the players and how that's been moving around. For want of a better term, mm-hmm. right? So that mm-hmm. whether you're going to be classified to play in wheelchair or not, because there's differences, has that also impacted the gliders as well?
1: I'm not fully aware of the new classification system that they've introduced because i just haven't been around it enough Mm. Uh, you know i think we've lost a few the main area where the sport is losing athletes is in the four and a half point range so that's the main classification that is being affected by the new iwbf or um, ipc classification rule So in the gliders within themselves, I know they've definitely lost at least two girls that were quite like Annabelle Lindsay. She's a big one that was would have been a massive help for the gliders and with her talent. And then there was another girl from Melbourne. I think it was Tisha. She was another four and a half. So yeah, it's unfortunate. Like when I first started, the minimal disability in the four and a half range was just coming into wheelchair basketball. And some people were complaining, like some people were on the fence, like, oh, is this good for our sport? Is this not good for our sport? Um, and then, you know, it just kind of evolved and it was good for our sport in the end. And then I'm not sure why um, IPC have changed what they thought it would do and um, kind of disqualifying people out of bush of our sport. So it's, it's unfortunate, but I don't think it, it's a major focus on why the numbers are dwindling.
0: Okay. And obviously, some of our listeners may not have heard some of our previous pods where we've talked about this. Now, you were classed as a two-pointer. Yeah. Um, so for the listeners who don't know how the classification system works, can you give us a really quick overview of how that works so that they understand if, if we get back to these sorts of points? Yeah, sure.
1: So um, it's the same as Appleball basketball, five people on the court at any one time, but you're only allowed 14 points. So within that range, the lowest points you can be is a one-pointer and the highest points you can be is a -a four-and-a-half. So, someone that's a four and a half might have, um, have a, a low knee amputation. Um, and then someone that's a one pointer might have had a car accident or is a high level disability. So, they can't, probably can't feel from like their chest down. So, they don't have the core stability. So, if they were to push and go down onto their legs, they don't have the core stability to get themselves back up again. So they would need to use their arms to get themselves back up. So then it's up to the coaches to work out five people to get your best combinations on court.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. It does make it more complex in terms of how you put together the rotations that you're putting on the floor.
1: Yeah, um, for sure.
0: From a player perspective, how do you find – like? being involved in that trying to work well, out as,
1: if- a, as a player i don't actually need to worry about that stuff <laughs> <laughs> i just um i just play that's the coaches and assistant coaches job to work out different combinations yeah i kind of never got my head into all of that stuff i just played okay yeah
0: okay cool so are there any specific people that have mentored you through your career and and in your early days particularly that probably if you hadn't had their help or mentoring you may not have maybe not have achieved as much as you have?
1: Uh, well definitely Jerry Hewson has been a big part of my career from like I met him at my first junior Christmas camp and he was a massive role model for me like he'd been to I don't know if it was four Paralympics as an athlete and then two as a coach, and they won gold in Atlanta. Louise Savage was also – I met her quite young in my career when I was doing wheelchair track and road, and we're still friends today. And, um, you know, you've got people like Troy Sachs, who coached me towards the end of my career. You know, Lisa Edmonds. You know, there's a lot of Australian players that have been around, and I think because wheelchair sports is – a community within itself, you always have that support around to help you. If you have any questions or anything like that, yeah, I suppose that would be the main people that have been around for my career.
0: Okay, now I know this may end up being a, a kind of contentious question, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of curious do you think that the overseeing body, so, you know, the BAs, the Paralympic committees, what could they do in your opinion what do you think they could do better for wheelchair basketball and oh. and i'm not trying to say this is kind of i don't want to beat them up but it's yeah. like i see this as an opportunity to maybe try and get a discussion happening about these things because sometimes in those bodies they don't necessarily see they don't necessarily see the issues
1: yeah um, like I think it's it's great that we've mainstreamed into basketball Australia. And I think they try to do their best. They think they know what, you know, running an able team is the same as a wheelchair basketball team, but it's not quite the same. Um, we are you know, like individual athletes within a team, I think they are doing a bit better now in trying to introduce more wheelchair basketball players or ex-wheelchair basketball players into the coaching side of things, which I think helps the players a bit more because they know it's someone that's been there that's um, played with themselves and I think that helps the current squad that's in there. I think they are doing a better job at trying to introduce that. I don't think in the past they've done a very good job of that. Um, And I think they've brought coaches in that they would know will be good for the team. And unfortunately, at times, they haven't been. And I think it's just listening to the players and getting their opinion and kind of acting on what people have said rather than just going with what they feel, I think, would be... Yeah, my answer to that
2: because they had uh, three development camps recently at the AIS. Um, yeah, for wheelchair basketball. Did you know much? Were you involved much with that process or kept?
1: Go I got. Basketball? I got asked to go. Um, mm-hmm. I know I have a lot of experience and a, a lot of knowledge in my head. I just, um, I just don't know if the coaching part is for me. So I'm still. I kind of say no to things at the moment in that in that side of things. So I was asked to go, but I I didn't attend. No, I did intend
2: to ask a question earlier, but I realized my mic was muted on the actual mic. So sorry if I've been a little bit quiet. And I tried to jump in, but my mic was muted. I didn't know. Anyway, um, just on that, I was going to ask as well because the pathway for. Um, able-bodied athletes to play for Australia is pretty well established and, and clear. But what? tell me more about the pathways for wheelchair athletes, because it might tie into a little bit as well as to why some of these national teams have historically, um, well, in recent times, I shouldn't say historically, have, have also folded.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. There's not a massive halfway Um, unfortunately like for me I did juniors as well as the same time I was doing juniors I was doing training with the senior teams as well and I think I was lucky because we had worlds here in 1998 and then we had obviously Sydney 2000 so a lot of the uh, Australian squads especially the women were playing or training a lot in Sydney as squads so I used to get along to that. My pathway has, you know, been, I I could not fault my pathway, but unfortunately some players do fall within the slips of the pathway because unless they hit a a junior team and then from a junior team they get asked to go to training into a senior team, then there's nothing really for them to show what they've got. So we kind of need to break up that those broken tracks within the junior system to the senior system. And then if there's no team within the senior system, which there isn't at the moment because Melbourne don't have one as well. And here in Sydney in the men's league, we don't have one. So for players to get noticed um, in the Australian squad is quite hard. Like Perth have a fantastic waste program over there. Um, You know, our n program here is quite good. Uh, I'm not sure about Victoria. Queensland have quite good numbers up there also. But it just, yeah, there's not a great pathway or comps that people can go to if they're not within the junior system or within the senior system for them to be looked at by Australian coaches.
2: And it's really surprising and a bit disappointing to hear that there's no team in Melbourne considering the, you know, I guess the, the capital of basketball in Australia.
1: Yeah, like they haven't had one for the past, I think, two two seasons. So the, the men's league, like I used to play in the men's league as well as the women's league, but I, I played in the men's league first. And I think one fault that Basketball Australia has done is they've taken away – so if I used to play, I used to get a point deduction. So I'd play as a one-pointer within the men's league. So I know, Paul, you've definitely seen me play. I'm not sure about you, Jacinta, but so I was quite valuable as a one-pointer in the men's league. And um, it was taken, BA made the decision, I don't know, quite a few years ago to take it away because they felt that people like myself and another girl in Perth, Claire not. Um, who's a one-pointer, so she was playing as a zero, were taking away court time from the men's players. Now, how I see that is if I'm better than what they are, then I should be on the court. So I think that's also where our women's players have lost playing in the men's league, so they don't get as much court time on court. They don't get um, stronger because they're playing against men. And then I think that affects them in the Australian team when we compete internationally. Um,
0: Okay. Now, that opens up a whole bunch of really (laughs) interesting things to discuss. Now, first of all, for context, before we kind of dive into a few of those points, you played in the men's league. How did you find playing in the men's league?
1: I loved it. (laughs) it. It just paid, like it just um it's hard obviously it's much harder than our women's league so the the level the the high intensity that they play and they're quicker they're faster they're stronger so if you want to be able to compete with that you you need to work your butt off to be able to compete with it
0: okay so now this might sound like a really really obvious question if it's it's, you, sorry, it's
1: not classed as a men's league. The I it's called the National Ultimate Basketball League, but okay. I just call it the men's league because it's just easier.
0: <laughs> okay, that's fine. So, what I don't get is if it's obviously a great way to build your capability, to build your athletic ability, to build your skills against stronger competition, which means our international teams are stronger and can compete more uh, equally with the international competition. Why don't we keep it up? I mean...
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, I think politics got in the, in the way of the decision, I see, and I think people were complaining because we do have a women's a women's league, so we do get to play, in obviously, in that comp as well if we choose to. But, like, look at Hannah Dodd, for instance. So she's playing in both leagues and she has done for the last few years. Um, Now, she doesn't get a point deduction anymore, but she still earns court time because of her athletic ability. And I think that's what it needs to come down to is your athletic ability rather than if you're a female athlete or a male athlete. And if you look back to when, I I can't remember when the point deduction was taken away, but when we were all playing together, both Australian teams, men and women, were in the medal contention. So I, I can't, like, it's not like we were taking, like the men's team were doing really bad and we were taking court time away from players that needed to get court time. Because at that point in both of our Australian teams, we were, you know, in the medal contention.
2: That's a really, really big correlation I think you've unfolded, Kylie, between <laughs> the, what we were talking about earlier with the gliders uh, not having as much success as we're used to. Yeah. And, you know, historically when you were with the glider and achieving a lot of success, you were playing in the men's league. I mean, it's, it's basic maths, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, that's how I see it. Like, I see things black and white, but yeah, unfortunately, other people don't see it that way. And I think it's unfortunate for the girls that are coming through now. Um, so, yes, at the moment, they're training with the men, which is great, but training and playing in a men's league is quite different.
0: Yeah, to me, there's no nice way to say this, right? Yeah. But if there is that obvious correlation between the performance of the two teams and you've also had a reduction in potential games because we've got less teams now, Mm. to me, it seems really obvious that the smart thing to do is ignore the points deduction, but the smart thing to do is get everybody playing because the more game time will equate to better skills in international competition. Yeah, for sure. So... I, I, I mean, I, I know I'm putting this question out there, and I do know that we do get people from BA listening in, and my Great. question my question's <laughs> going to be, hey, guys, why isn't this happening? Because it seems like a really smart idea to me.
1: Yeah, well, like, I don't want to open any cans of worms here, but I just look back on what worked when I was in the Australian team and all my training that I did obviously I know things change over time and you know, you got to evolve with what's um, happening in the world and unfortunately covid hasn't helped so you know we haven't had the international games that we probably would have had the last few years so that definitely hasn't helped the girls at all yeah i just i just look at what worked when i was in the Australian team and then what kind of has changed over my career, like definitely probably from London onwards and then we didn't qualify in Rio, like that's when I feel like there was a change in the structure of how the Australian team was run and what we were expected to do and training we were expected to do within the N-Swiss squad or within Waste squad or QAS squad. And I think before that we didn't – it wasn't a massive focus, whereas now it's a massive focus for them to train within the institute squads.
2: And um, you spoke earlier as well about how um, when you were playing, basketball came first, but it seems like the other way around for our, some of our current wheelchair athletes, and which it, to me is kind of converse to what – we see in the WNBL and the you know the equal professional league to the yeah for sure. NFL. Like
1: unfortunately, we don't have we don't get the funding that other able board codes get, uh, even basketball and such. Like you know, once we didn't qualify for Rio, then our funding just went see you later. Mm. um so that is really hard for them I found it hard as an athlete then so I don't know what the girls get at the moment from the AIS I have no idea I don't know it's people's mindsets too I think like I was so focused on my basketball so that's why I made that work was my second choice whereas other people mightn't have that I don't know, that want or that ability to be the best athlete they want to be. They might want to be the best in their career choice. And I think that's a decision that people have to make. Um, like, unfortunately, because we don't have a lot of women playing wheelchair basketball, if you can catch a ball, or if you can push a chair, you know, you get invited to a camp. And I think that's the other reason why our, you know, like people aren't striving to make a team because they get invited so early in their career because we just don't have the numbers, whereas AbleBot doesn't have that. So they have to work hard and they have to put in the time and the effort to be the best athlete that they want to be.
0: Okay, this kind of got me a bit curious because if I look at it, and you mentioned that the funding started to dry up after not qualifying for Rio. Mm-hmm. To me, that doesn't make sense.
2: It doesn't. No, I was thinking exactly the same thing. (laughs) That's not equity, sports equity at all.
0: No, no, what we what we're basically saying is, if you're really successful, we're going to keep throwing more and more money at you. Yeah. Mm. And for you guys who have been really successful for a long period of time, and then you have a bad international result at a particular competition,
1: yeah,
0: oh, we're going to take your money away from you because we've got others who are more successful. It's kind of like, it's the reverse of what should be happening, which is the more successful you are, the more potential you've got to attract sponsorship and commercial support and all of that. And the teams that aren't as successful, if they're given more resourcing to be able to reach that point, then they'll be more successful on the international stage and be able to start to attract sponsorship and commercial attention and all the other things that the other ones do
1: yeah
0: we got it backwards
1: yeah it's it's definitely like it was an absolute kick in the guts when we didn't qualify for Rio and you know it, it all came back to like a world champs in 2014 when we I think we came sixth and we had to finish fifth and we weren't aware that we had to finish fifth so we lost in like an overtime game with I think it was Great Britain I can't even remember now but so that, therefore that meant in our zone, we did the best in our zone, but we came sixth. So China and Japan did worse than us. So then therefore we lost a spot for Rio. So in our Asia-Oceana zone, we only had one spot. So that meant we went up against China, Japan and us in 2015 and we lost to China in the final and then like we were all so devastated because obviously you, this is the pinnacle of our sport so we you know that's your goal every day of the week is to get there and then when that doesn't happen and then when you just like everything just went cold like, and i'm not joking from everywhere you know it was big news that the gliders didn't qualify and all that but then after that like okay we went like from silver medalists in london and then to come to not qualify for the Rio Paralympics, like it's massive.
0: See, again, for me, it's it's like we've got things backwards. If you want to have a successful, successful teams across all sports, you got to say, okay, you guys are doing great. You know, you're meddling, you're doing, that's fantastic. This team that maybe hasn't qualified, something's gone wrong. You sit down, you look at it, you go, okay, what do we think we need to do? To get you back up there, because it's not like you didn't you had a shortage of success prior to that. No, no, it was quite the the opposite.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like our our program, London twenty twelve was special. Like you know, and uh, was one of my like the games that I enjoyed the most. I think because it was just fun, and us girls as a group, we were twelve strong together. And we knew we could do anything. Um, But unfortunately, Germany, were just better than us on the day. You know, we, our first game in London was against, I think it was Mexico and we just won. Like we were supposed to win by a good margin and we just won. And that was a relief to get that out of the equation. (laughs) Uh, But then it just meant, and we, we just, you know, just kept going game by game and, um we had a tough semi against the US that some people think we shouldn't have got through to the final because the girls scored on the buzzer and the referees said no was after the buzzer. So that was a bit controversial. But we'll take it and we yeah, went through to the gold medal, which was fantastic. Like the stadium was absolutely packed. And like I love playing with big crowds and people to see because they see, like myself, my ability. They don't see in my disability. And that's what I think I love about wheelchair basketball is people aren't staring at you or thinking, oh, poor, she's in a wheelchair. or Do you know what I mean? Like people just see me as a player and what I can do.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, having seen a few wheelchair basketball games now, it's like, man, you guys, seriously, you are amazing athletes. You yeah. Know? And I'm actually going to kind of talk about that for a little bit because it is a very physical game. It's, mm-hmm. it's tough, really tough. And there's a quote from you where you say that you're a fan of the big hits in rugby league.
1: Yeah, I've seen that quote around. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's, you know, the aggression in wheelchair basketball is not as, as much, but it's as close as you're likely to get. Now, when we spoke with Amber Merritt a while back, she was saying the same thing about the physicality of the sport and how she just loves the physicality of the sport. So there's a common thread here. And what is it about that physical, that physicality and the toughness that goes with it that you find appealing?
1: Oh, I think it's a a range of things. Um, Like I think the skill that, you know, you have to have with your wheelchair and you, you got the ball and, we're smashing each other around which makes it even funner um I just think it's a combination then you have obviously the team camaraderie around and it's just um I don't know it's it's funny I think I feel blessed that I have the ability to play it and um that I'm you know was quite good at it so I was I, I got to play a lot of games and a lot of court time and um yeah, it's just, I don't know, just
0: makes it's enjoyment. It's just fun and, yeah. It's like one of the games that I saw at, um, at Sydney Uni. It's quite surprising how much there's the banging and crashing, but also the number of times that the chairs get tipped up.
1: Yeah.
0: It's probably because I haven't seen enough wheelchair basketball, but it's quite surprising the first time you see it, how quickly you get the chairs back up. Yeah. I um, think it's an
1: eye-opener for people when they first come and watch us play. I don't think, you know, they might have a perspective of wheelchair basketball being a, a bunch of disabled people playing in wheelchairs, but it's far from that. Once you come and have a look, um we're quite competitive and, you know, like we just see it as a sport, like an able bod sport. Yeah. I,
0: I... Get, get up and
1: get on with it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what's the point in sitting around
2: yeah yeah and you see all the those clips these uh, I've seen a couple online recently of all those clips of people of I think I mentioned this in another episode of soccer players just tripping over nothing and carrying oh yeah. them and... they're the most
1: traumatic athletes I've ever oh, seen they ever? absolutely they might get a little knock on their ankle and they're down for like five minutes <laughs> <laughs> with
2: the performance to go over the theater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because Hannah Dodd sometimes shares some uh, clips on her Instagram of what an individual training session looks like. So Kylie, you mentioned earlier how you traditionally, you mostly used to train on your own. Yeah. So um, what would your individual sessions kind of look like and was it hard to stay motivated when you had to train on your own so much?
1: It was easy for me to stay motivated because I knew I wanted to just improve my skills each time I hit the court. So I never found that a struggle at all. My individual sessions, you know, I'd do gym gym sessions. Um, I, As I said before, I'd go on aerobic pushes. My court stuff would be a lot of ball hand because I'm a point guard, so a lot of warm-ups would be ball handling, chair skills, passing, um, I used to do a lot of, I don't know if you've ever seen them, they're called goggles. They're like a, um, so it helps with your peripheral vision. So when you have the ball, you kind of wear these glasses and you cannot see below like your eye line here. So you really have to have good peripheral vision. So you couldn't see the ball at all. Um, oh. So I used to do a lot of stuff with my coach, Jerry, and uh, we used to do a lot of two-ball passing Um, He's been training the N-Swiss squad up here in Sydney and he's been putting a lot of videos up and it just brings me back to what I used to do with him. And just working on your, um, I used to do a lot of sort of like stations, so five-minute stations of two push stop or U-turns, just all, I did a lot of chair skill things and a lot of ball handling skills. So I kind of, my shooting, well, I used to do shooting sessions as well, but a lot of my focus was on the little things, the 1% things that um, make the big picture, I think, in the end.
0: Okay. It seems to me from what you're saying that we know all the mechanics of how to make all of this work. Yeah. Really what we need is some commitment from the bodies that are responsible for wheelchair sport to kind of really take the bit between the teeth and get serious about wanting to get the gliders back up there
1: yeah Uh, for sure like i think they were supposed to have their worlds just passed and unfortunately that got postponed now till june i think so there's definitely time like you know they got another six months to work on on their training and their skills but i don't know if I've heard some of the girls in the squad comment about that to me and I thought that was quite interesting in their response back to me was, oh, um, we've got nothing now until whenever. And for me, I would look at it, well, I've got another six months now to get better. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also some athletes, um, not attitude, I don't think is the right word, but their mindset maybe in how they need to focus on... If you really want something, you go for it. You don't go half-hearted for it or it's not going to fall on a a silver plate for you. You have to work hard to do it.
2: Yeah, six months is a long time to develop your own personal skill. Like It's almost like you get to a a certain playing level and you need to take a higher level of responsibility for yourself um, to get your skills up, to get your fitness up and to make sure that you're going to be your best and that means you're going to be able to contribute as much to the team as possible. So it sounds like instead of having to rely on the team trainings all the time, that maybe needs to flip the script a bit and think about more individual sessions in the downtime between camps.
1: Yeah, well, that's how I said That's what worked for me. Like I might not work for everyone else, but that's what worked for me. And even for me now, like leading into Women's League, I would go and book a course. And do an hour's training session by myself. I, I find that easy. I don't need to have a teammate there to be accountable to turn up. And I think that's something that may lack with people within wheelchair for now. And I'm not just talking the Australian team. You know, everyone. Yeah, I never had that struggle because I always wanted to be better myself. And I think yeah, like I played in women's league this year, and I haven't played since 2019. And I could, like, I was still on the court a lot of the time. I do not like talking myself up whatsoever. So please don't (laughs) think this is going to come up as a cocky athlete. But I could still compete with the girls and, if not, beat some of the girls. And I think for me that's retired from the Australian team that hasn't trained full-time since then, and then for me just to do six weeks preparation leading into a women's league. And then be able to, obviously, I have skill behind me that I'm not going to lose, obviously, because it's just within me. And I'm very fortunate for that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just look at it. Then I then that makes me think, well, I shouldn't be able to do that against you if you're training as much as you say you're training and you're in the Australian squad and all these type of things. Um, I feel like I'm a negative Nazi on this no, podcast. <laughs> no,
2: it's very no. insightful, very insightful about the current state of standard and affairs of the program versus when it was at its height, including the time when you were with the gliders program and winning. What's like I think, sorry
1: to interrupt you, I think, yeah, I was very fortunate with the athletes that I had on my team, like they had a similar attitude to me. And I think when you come through a program, like, you know, I was... Um, with Shelley Chaplin, we played junior, like she was in the Victorian junior team and I was in the New South Wales junior team. And we pretty much started and finished our career together. So like I had people like that around me, which I think helps you along the way. And I think they could see my attitude and I could see their attitude. And then that helps you stay motivated and, and want to do it.
0: Okay, this is, this is kind of a what do you think type question. Do you think that part of the issue, and I'm, I'm not saying all of it, but just part of the issue is that could be related to the fact that if the team feels that they're not appreciated based on, you know, the amount of support that they're getting, that that's also kind of impacting the attitude of the athletes?
1: I'm not there, so I can't 100% comment on what they're thinking. But yeah. quite possibly... But I also think people, what, like I said earlier, because we don't have a massive pool of people to pull from, people that may show a tiny ability is called into Australian squad, and they then think, oh, well, I've made the Australian squad, and I haven't had to do very much, so I don't need to keep doing very much. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Like, yep. I think even I heard, I'm not sure if this is still true, but the Australian squad, so that included like your women's under twenty five team, the development team, like they were all, they didn't have their own individual squads, they were just classed as a glider squad. So I don't know how if you're just in a development squad, realistically, but you're being classed as you're being in an Australian glider squad. Like, that doesn't give the development people anything to strive for because they're already classed in the top squad. Mm. Like, I think that's – I know, every you know, everyone wants to be inclusive and there wants to be no under-25 team and then the no senior team. But then if you're already in that squad, where does your want to actually make a team?
0: That's, that's a fair point. No, mm-hmm. I, I get where you're coming from on that.
1: When I was introduced in the Australian squad, there was people like Lisa Tesh, Lisa Edmonds, Donna Ritchie, Jane Sachs. Um, they're just the people that I played with here in Sydney. And I felt privileged when I was invited to a, a training squad with them. You know, it's like, kind of like, okay, so not I've done the work, but I need to do the work to get to where they are. Like it was, I think it was more... It's, I don't know the word to put to it, but it was like you needed to work hard to get there. And I think, again, because of the pool of people, is the major issue that people get called in. But realistically, I would, I'm not sure if it would work, but if you have less people, you can concentrate on them and work on them in the Australian squad itself. To get those people at a higher skill level, a higher fitness level, to then be able to compete internationally.
2: Yeah, yeah it, sounds, it just sounds like uh, in some like to summarize, the standard of then and now is quite different, and perhaps reflective of the level of competition and the access to competition and the pool of players. It sounds you had a lot bigger pool of and you mentioned playing in the men's league as well and a lot of that doesn't happen now so that's I guess reflecting in the glider
1: squad too. Yeah I think so like it's, it's a bit disappointing with how I see the gliders team at the moment and I can't be critical because I haven't given much back to the sport since I've finished. Um, obviously I'm, I'm still wanting to play women's league and things like that but I know there's people out there that think I should be giving more back to the sport and I just mentally at the moment, I just get frustrated with it and I don't know if it's because I haven't been out of the sport for long enough. I'm not sure, but I've just got to go with how I feel.
0: That's, that's reasonable. I mean, if you don't have the motivation to participate in that, that aspect of the sport, it's not helpful for anybody. No. But it's kind of interesting because I think it is it is important to make the gliders needs to be an aspirational goal. It's like this yeah. is something you've got to strive to get to. Yeah. And I understand the shortage of, of potential athletes in the pool, but I'm sure this can be addressed because to me, if I look at it, there's a pool of potential wheelchair athletes and there's a bunch of sports. Yeah. So it's how, how do you make wheelchair basketball the more attractive pathway out of those sports to try and entice a bigger pool to come in?
1: Yeah, it's true. Love. And unfortunately, I think in Sydney here also, like, we used to have a local comp played before the men's and women's league. Right, There used to be a summer league and a winter league. And so we used to play games before playing in the men's league. Like this year it was great we had the Waratah League. But that was just a few rounds, maybe one or two, before we played men's and women's league. So I think that was great that that got reintroduced and that was, I think, a huge success. And I think basketball in New South Wales done a great job of that because wheelchair sports New South Wales used to run those comps and those comps had fallen away. So it was great that the War- we were included in the Waratah League with basketball at New South Wales and we had a lot of teams playing and I played in, at a few rounds. I didn't play the whole league. But I think that's what need. There needs to be more games for people that aren't playing in the men's and women's league because, unfortunately, unless they have a local team that they can go and train with, then there's not a lot of comps for them to play in. Mm. So I think they're doing, yeah, the Waratah leg was a great introduction for that because, and then, you know, like the New South Wales junior team, I think they they didn't play in it as a team. They had athletes all around in different teams, but that gives them more court time. Like we have a great junior system in in New South Wales here, but then between New South Wales and uh, an Australian squad, there's a massive gap.
0: Okay. It seems to me like people in the sport know where the gaps are,
1: Mm. yeah.
0: but it's more a case of they haven't really come up with a strategy on how to address it. Yeah, it's very true.
2: I feel like it's almost a little bit left behind and forgotten as well, unfortunately, because... When we talked about pathways before, it just sounds like there isn't really a pathway anymore. And the pathway for uh, able-bodied basketball in Australia was so clear and so much is time and effort going into the juniors. Um, I'm just worried that wheelchair basketball has been forgotten about.
1: Yeah, like I'm I'm just trying to think back on, I kind of see them in like four kind of blocks of my career. So like Athens, Beijing, London, that's how I kind of look back on where things change sort of thing. Yeah, it was kind of really after maybe a little bit before London, but then after London is where things definitely started to not fall apart, but cracks started to happen and then these pathways just fell away.
0: Mm. Let's move off of this to something else, a bit more lighthearted here for a minute. Sounds good. Tell us about what you do off the court, what do you do in your downtime?
1: Oh, I'm not very an exciting person, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I like most sports. I um, My family's very into sports, so we watch a lot of sport on television. We, I work at my dad's family business, so we own a fruit and vegetable shop, and um, I work there in the office with my cousin. And um, my grandfather started it in 1960, so it's been in my family ever since I've been alive.
0: Okay, and so, sorry, Kylie, you've got to give it a plug. Uh,
1: it's called Minchin, <laughs> Minchinberry Fruit Market, 1039 Great Western Highway, Minchinberry. <laughs> <laughs> Come and support your local grocer.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've only been working there for the past three years, so I haven't been there a long time. Yeah, but I enjoy it because it's, uh, I don't do the same thing all day, every day, so it, it's a very different type of work and my dad is retired now so him and my uncle own it and kind of there's four of us in the family running the business on behalf of our fathers so to keep the family legacy going is is exciting and I think we're doing our parents proud in keeping it going um it's challenging at times but other than that, yeah, we I follow Penrith Panthers. Um, you know, we've done very well the last two seasons, back to back premiers.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> so I, I go to most of their home games, and yeah, I kind of just hang out with family and friends. I like to sit by the pool, read a book. Like I said, I don't. I'm not a super excited person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let, let me say, somebody who has represented Australia. And done 255 games for the gliders, world championships, all star, Olympics. And you're saying you don't have an exciting life, yeah? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, basketball was huge for me in my life. Like I said earlier, once I kind of fell in love with the sport, then my um, school kind of went on the wayside. <laughs> because I knew exactly what I wanted to do and uh, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, it's, it's helped me, I suppose it's helped me with my disability because, like I said before, when I play, people look at my ability, they do not see anything about my disability and I think that's what's a great thing about sport is. Yeah,
0: definitely. I, I mean, I, I would say to anybody, you know, if you haven't seen a wheelchair basketball game, you've got to get out there and you've got to see, got to see these athletes play because... Honestly, it is one of the most exciting sports I've watched. It's fascinating to watch. I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of the nuances of the sport that I still don't have. But yeah, watching the games is just astounding. The skill level that's involved, the commitment. Look, when you watch the game, you can see everybody on that court. Everyone's playing for sheep stations.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> We're not out there just to fill a spot.
0: Oh, hell no.
1: (laughs) Not at
2: all. If there's anyone out there listening that is interested in trying it out, how do you recommend they try and find a local team or local comp to get started?
1: Um, I think two points of contact would be Wheelchair Sports New South Wales and then also Basketball New South Wales because I know we have Jana Misen's working there at the moment and she's working on the wheelchair basketball side of things within Basketball New South Wales. So I think that'd be the two most obvious places for people to have a look. Yeah, just get in and have a go. You'll never look back.
0: Fantastic. Now, we do always ask a A very unscripted question. Yeah. (laughs) If you could be any superhero, which superhero would you be? Um, Superwoman. Superwoman.
1: (laughs) I don't don't follow characters like that (laughs) whatsoever at all. My nephew would be absolutely disgusted (laughs) with me because he knows every single Marvel thing that there is. And... (laughs) Tell you should have asked me if I any um, sports person. Now I don't know what to say, but um, yeah, I'd say Superwoman. Hey, let's go with that. Well, what I, would your sports person be? Uh, Michael Jordan.
0: Michael Jordan.
1: <laughs> um, Kobe Bryant. You know any of those? Uh, any of those good players? Lauren Jackson. She was pretty good.
0: All right, Kylie. It's been great having you on the show. It's been a really interesting discussion because we've actually, uh, I mean, I've learned an awful lot of things about the wheelchair sport that I didn't really know about and got a better understanding of what the issues and the challenges are that are facing the sport. But most important, it's been great having you on. It's been fantastic. I really enjoyed having this conversation. Oh, thank
1: you. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. But uh, just kind of saying it how I feel it is and...
0: No, that's absolutely what we want, you know. It's about having those those conversations. We've really enjoyed having this conversation with you. And it's great getting your insight into the sport as well.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me.
0: Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.